You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. As Jamie announced at the beginning of our liturgy this evening, I wasn't going to be standing here tonight. More specifically, I was going to be standing a little to the left. Uh, It was going to be the celebration of my ordination to the transitional diaconate, standing before Bishop Jeff, who would lay hands on me as the continuation of a discernment process begun when I wandered and wondered my way into St. Benedict's table about five years ago now. I wasn't supposed to be standing here tonight. The sequis has been read, the requisite three times, the letters testimonial duly submitted. It seems that God is willing, and yet alas, COVID-19 is not allowing. And my being here and not there is an acknowledgement in word and in deed that it is not happening, at least not yet. By coincidence, design, serendipity, or happenstance, Jamie invited me to preach on a remarkably resonant passage for this evening. It's a story of the people coming to Samuel and demanding a king like other nations. The people come to Samuel, demanding a king. Then all the elders of the Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and said, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. That verse in particular And the overall account just oozes regret, disappointment, lament of missed opportunities. You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. It echoes hollow for things that we might have hoped to have been, but now with alarming and yet unsurprising clarity are not yet. And in Samuel's case, perhaps will never be. It's a verse later echoed by disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, but we had hoped. And I imagine Samuel feeling crushed emotionally, spiritually, physically. He has counseled the people. You really don't want a king like the other nations. He even outlines in very stark detail what having a king like the other nations would be like for them. And it wasn't going to be pretty. It was going to be demanding. The cost would be high. He counsels the people, Samuel does. You really don't want a king like the other nations. And their response, oh, yes, we do. Key to engaging tonight's scripture, I think, is getting a handle on what a king like the other nations represents. 
For sure, it denotes uh, political authority, Elizabeth uh, II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. That kind of denotation, announcing who's in charge and on whose desk rests that wooden declaration that the buck stops here. That's part of what the desire of a king, for a king like other nations is getting at. But even more, I think, desire for a king like other nations connects with longing for something more. Longing to trust in some sort of structure or plan or design. We might even call it the little orphan Annie lived theology approach that the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there is none. The desire for a king like other nations, I suggest, is part of that desire to be part of an overall structure or system or template that makes sense, that makes our lives and our disappointments make sense. Tonight's scripture reminds us that the temptation for even an unhelpful structure is a temptation that is ever-present. We like routine. We like knowing what's happening. We even manufacture, plead for, or demand a mindset, a structure, a worldview, or a paradigm. We want what we perceive others to have. It seems as though others have some sort of roadmap or plan that provides a sense of peace as well as a plan that reassures us that even in the mo- with the most unfortunate or tragic turn of events, regardless of the cost and the grief of COVID restrictions or delays, either we or somebody, we pray, has it all under control. And adding a much longed for imprimatur, we might even suggest that it's all part of God's plan. Taking the holy out of the equation though, as Kate Bowler adds, everything happens for a reason and other lies that I've loved. Even when warned by Samuel, careful what you pray for, you really want a king? More often than not, we refuse to listen and we declare loudly and maybe even boldly 
We are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like other nations, so that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. Fight someone to fight our battles when we are too tired or weary to fight our own. The assurance, the promise, the hope, the enticement of a plan is as curiously inviting as it is deceptively tempting. Because who's to argue with a plan or a king that yields results? This week's episode of The Handmaid's Tale has June, previously Offred and of Lawrence, testifying before the International Criminal Court pretrial hearing against the most righteous of nations, Gilead's commander, Fred Waterford. June provides starkly compelling, disturbingly detailed account of her divinely sanctioned emotional, physical abuse and rape. And with the ensuing cross-examination, pun not intended, Commander Waterford makes an impassioned speech, admitting that while, yes, mistakes were made, and yes, freedoms were curtailed even, we don't always see eye to eye. He declares that Gilead's approach, it works. Look. He and Mrs. Waterford have been rewarded by God with a baby of their own. And the Republic, might as well be called a kingdom of Gilead, now boasts the highest birth rate of any nation. A disturbing account from this week's episode of The Handmaid's Tale that highlights how success cannot, will not, must not, and shall not be denied, how possibly argue with plans that bear fruit. Give us a king like other nations. I'd love to declare that I never subscribe to that theological end run around truth or justice or mercy. Sadly and surely, we all do, some of the time and some of us do all of the time. We long for a king, a structure, an explanation, a reassurance. And there is payoff for trusting in a plan. Much like the suggestion that a bad decision is better than no decision at all, it can fool us into thinking that everything is settled. And all we need have to do is wait. Tonight's scripture compels us to count the cost of blind, unquestioning, passive obedience. Paul Matthews Van Buren, a leading proponent of Jewish Christian dialogue and the one who 
embodied the, lived the challenge of crafting theology in the shadow of the Holocaust, several decades ago, Van Buren remarked, most of us hope, wonder, half believe in a giver in whom we try to trust. Given the horrors of the century, we can walk at best by faith, not by sight. Given the horrors of the century, we can walk at best by faith, not by sight. Words written long before COVID became reality for our world and our lives. And I wonder if our challenge involves appreciating faith not as something that fills in the blank, allowing us to quickly proceed to the next existential angst. Faith not as a stopgap solution, something as we, that we use to paper over trauma's ugly truths or the hard reality that sometimes our lives or our worlds our world simply sucks. Faith is not to be something used to be paper over any of that. Instead, resisting the temptation for a king like other nations, faith, I believe, offers capacity not just to live, but to live and act with integrity and boldness, even in the midst of ambiguity and uncertainty. A social worker talks about an investigative visit where authorities were suspecting a child could be living in an abusive context asking the child to identify instances of dangerous touch, the child responded, you mean dangerous touch like a handshake or a hug? In what universe are we to take that response as proof positive that God has a plan? or support for the explanatory premise or belief that the sun will come out, come what may. I do not believe that God has a plan. Whether in reckoning any of the myriad of griefs of losses, disappointments, or delayed or denied opportunities that we experience, I do not believe that God has a plan which involves painful, sobering, reconciliation of the buried remains of 215 children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Reconciliation of that reality with our national identity, ethos, and soul and how we will need far more than a new statutory holiday on September 30th to even begin the steps, part of our individual and collective journeys. I do not believe God has that kind of plan. 
The faith-filled alternative, rather, is not to passively wait, not to patiently attend to its unfolding. That's going for a king like other nations. God does not have a plan, but I do believe God has a purpose for love, for justice, for grace, for compassion, for the healing of creation, for life in all its fullness, not just for some, but for all. God doesn't have a plan, but God has a purpose. And our role lies in wrestling with the mysteriously unstoppable, yet life-giving ambiguity to hold on even as we are frustrated, as God partners with us, even if God is making it up as God goes along. Last Monday afternoon, I was sitting in my office working on the supervisor educator summary and assessments for each of this year's clinical pastoral education CPE learners. And it's not for a moment an easy or straightforward task. I was sitting in my office working away at the assessments and a member of our hospital senior leadership appeared at my door, came in and sat down. She was compiling some pulling together some soundbite testimonials for the hospital's Facebook page and an offering of suggestions for coping with the changes and chances of working in the current context or, for that matter, any challenging context. Thankfully, she didn't suggest that I was old or that my CPE learners might not be following in my ways. And yet she challenged me to express something profound yet pithy, asking for my informed yet articulate advice. She turned on her smartphone camera and pressed record. And the advice I came up with, the sound I came up with was just breathe. Just breathe. Take in all that weighs heavy on our hearts or on our shoulders and gnaws away at our souls. Just breathe. And remember that ours is not to complete or perfect the work any more than it is our place to ever put it aside. Just breathe. Resist any and all temptation for short-circuiting responses of plans that placate, maybe even explain, but most certainly and most undeniably stifle any creativity or engagement. Just breathe and resist the temptation for kings like the other nations. Returning to little orphan Annie, maybe she got it at least partly right. 
the sun will and does come out tomorrow. And as it rises, it shines on our partnership with God's mending of creation. Our work not in assuming or accepting some so-called plan, but our intentionality in aligning ourselves, pairing our discipleship, our work and our witness with God's purposes, even here, even now, even always. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.